All right, I'm here with Jimmy Pardo. I'm going to call a joke. Let's see if I can remember the joke. goes something like this. There's his parrot. People don't like the parrot much. Parrot uses some language some people don't like. Parrot's for sale. Fellow walks in, wants to buy his parrot. Dude's telling the parrot, says, you might not like this parrot. Why? Why not? Looks like a beautiful bird to me. Well, this parrot enjoys the full beauty of the English language. The man takes the parrot home. The man's embarrassed by the parrot. Seems to find the most interesting things to say when the wrong people are in the room. The man tries everything. He yells at the parrot. He's angry at the parrot. He hits the parrot. Nothing seems to work. He sticks the parrot in the freezer. Just desperate to try anything. He pulls the parrot out. And the parrot says, Kind, sir. <laughs> Noble sir, beautiful sir, I will never speak a foul word again. But please, I beg you, tell me, what did the turkey do? <laughs> All right, so I'm recording the podcast now. What are we doing? How are we doing for time? We've got a few more minutes till we start. Jimmy, go for it. Play a tune, and then we're going to start talking about things. All right. This is a cover by Andrew Bird. Anyone know Andrew Bird? Yes. One, one little guy. It's called Scythian Empires. What are we doing here? About to get loopy. Oh, there, I heard something go.
Jimmy Pardo. So Jimmy plays the music on my uh, on two of my videos. Well, most of my videos actually. So uh, that that one song we put at the end. Yeah. So and on top of that, um, for those of you that are familiar with my empire, then uh, we've got a, a series of I've got a, a thread out of Permies and a few other things. And and then one of the things we talk about is a poop beast. Who who here besides Jimmy can tell me what a poop beast is? Anybody? Nobody. Nobody. Oh. Go ahead. What is a poop beast? A poop beast is a plant that eats a lot of manure. Uh, good enough. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, so basically, uh, years ago when I met Jimmy, he, he drew something for Permies, this piece of art, and off of the side there was something that looked like an outhouse, and at the bottom of the pit under the outhouse was a little monster. <laughs> and he wrote, he wrote a little note next to it and pointed at it. Poop beast. <laughs> kind of like at the Flintstones or something, I guess. That's how you deal with it. So, um, uh, so it is more of, that's more of Jimmy's uh, history with the Permese Empire. We're here today in Beaverton, Oregon. Did I say that right? We got right place, Beaverton, Oregon, and which is which is a burb off of Portland, and we're in Ludeman. Is that right, Ludeman? And it's like a, an outdoor furniture store. So as I give this presentation, everybody in the audience gets to pick what kind of chair they like. This is this is way better. Other places you go, it's like, oh, here's your folding chair. I hope you're gonna hope you're okay with that. You're gonna be sitting on it for two hours. This is like you could choose from padded, not padded, tall, short. There's a buffet of chairs. This is magnificent. So uh, so Ludemans for your Fine outdoor furniture needs. I just made that up. He didn't even require me to say that. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, just, he just likes this stuff. In fact, I, I met the owner at a Step Holster event three and a half years ago. And um, uh, so, in fact, that was earlier, uh, an earlier podcast uh, um, was with uh, uh, Jacqueline and Joseph Freeman. And I met them because I came to that same event and needed a place to stay. And they were offering places to stay. So, uh, and then I've, I've been back there several times. So, Ludemans in Beaverton for furniture, outdoor furniture. And this stuff looks, this is, looks like the, the high, high class stuff. So, everybody's here in comfort. What? Do you know that farm and garden? I do. We're actually, this department is closing down the end of the year. I have, I have a farm and garden store. I have a farm. I have uh, raw dairy, uh, eggs, and about 400 animals. Austin is here. He's moved in today as an intern. Uh, so I have 40 acres out in the coast range. And the front of the farm and garden store, which I don't know what hell is going to happen, but the idea is that those going to become the farm and garden store. And I have a teaching center here. This is what I'm moving towards. Oh, amazing. I where I'm, where I'm going. I think the world's desperate for this and get a lot more desperate as the economy sinks. We're going to get hungry. I'm here to help people figure out how to go their own food. That's what I'm moving towards. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I love this guy here who couldn't find a cow with milk tonight, so we go home and have milk and milk the cows. <laughs> we have customers that pick up milk here in town through her share agreement. Livia's here, who Paul knows. Hi, Livia. <laughs> Livia knows Paul because I went to India. I've been to India numerous times. I went to India and I ordered a book to read before I left, but she read Why I Was God on Seth Holder. And that's not her all it's just that she owns eighty acres out in North Plains. And she went today to a key line workshop. Is that right what you Oh, is that going on right now? It just ended. It ended about an hour ago. It ended about and that's the one with Neil and and Owen, oh, they're in town. How come they're not coming to my presentation? <laughs> <laughs> well, they've seen all this. Right. All right. Fine. <laughs> so, Olivia does my bookkeeping here, but she's quitting me to go in farming full time next year, correct? <laughs> <laughs> and it's all Paul's. Okay. 
So we're gonna watch a couple of we're gonna watch a couple of movies tonight. We're gonna so here's what I, here's the plan. Oh, I, I oh, we got one more thing. We do have other classes coming up this year. I'm, gonna, I'm looking for teachers. Anyone has anything they want to know any teachers? Anything they want to teach? I'm looking for more teachers. I have flyers over here. Anything from chicken classes to yogurt classes to um, yogurt classes and cheese making classes. Thank you. Chicken classes September 6th, 13th. So we have a we set up a whole fall itinerary. Most of that will be held up front in the farm and guard store, but and we have a blog. And a Facebook page for under, under Healing's Pond. We have all kinds of resources. Huh? My pond is in the Coast Range. You know, it's, we don't even turn off on 26. I'm there, basically. It's just exactly behind what's called Sub Stewart Park. I'm at 950 feet. When there was no snow here, I have seven inches in my house. <laughs> or more. <clears throat> I'm in the foothills. I'm in the foothills, yes. I'm in the Yes, exactly. Is it Yes, I'm, I live above Buxton, which I didn't know where it was, so I moved there. <laughs> What's the name of his Facebook page? It is Healing Pond Farm and Garden Store. Oh, okay. And my web page for the farm is ludemans.wordpress.com, which has the farm and the store on both. Magnificent. I mean, so basically you're going to have a permaculture store of sorts with classrooms here in Beaverton, Oregon. Something like that's what we're working toward, yes. Right, right. Ah, that's going to be great. All right. Who here is familiar with my empire? Oh, I love to see a lot of hands like that. That's magnificent. So, uh, for those few of you that didn't raise your hands, I am Paul Wheaton. I have the largest uh, permaculture website in the world. <laughs> right on. I have a po- I have podcasts like this one. They look like this. They come out bigger later, <laughs> like properly cooked. Uh, and then uh, I've got a bunch of videos and articles. And then the big thing is the forums where people are talking about permaculture all the time. And we do things that we're about to see. We're going to watch two sepulcher videos. And I think that the one we're going to start with is farming with nature, which is like the basic sepulcher stuff. Now, I should mention something that I call the Wheaton Eco Scale. This is a scale that I entirely made up. I put the word Wheaton in it, and since I made it up, I can make it be anything I want. And, and I'm sure a lot of people will disagree with a lot of elements of it, but go make your own damn scale. Uh, and so on this scale, what I do is I start off by saying, this is just a tool, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to why I need this tool in order to uh, introduce these videos. <clears throat> it is a tool, and, and so at, uh, at eco level zero, there are 6 billion people. At eco-level 1, there's 1 billion people. At eco-level 2, there's 100 million people. At eco-level 3, there are 10 million people, etc., etc. It's a logarithmic scale. And then when you get to level 9, there are 10 people. And when you get to eco-level 10, there is Sepp Holzer. And that's what we're going to learn about today. Now, there's two observations about this scale. Uh, the first observation is, is that no matter where you are on the scale, your nature, your human nature is everybody behind you is fucking up the planet and you need to take a baseball bat to them in order to make the planet a better place. That's a, that's a, a normal reaction. Now, I'm going to say that I think what we should be doing instead is recognize that they're behind, and maybe we could just tell them about the next level of ahead. And the reason why it's just next level is because of the second observation. The second observation is that everybody that's one level ahead of you is cool. Everybody that's two levels ahead of you is awesome. Everybody three levels ahead of you is crazy. <laughs> Everybody four more levels ahead of you is so damn crazy, they should be institutionalized for their own personal safety and the safety of everybody around them. That's why when you find somebody that's behind you, you tell them about one level ahead. You don't, so like if they're just learning about, so, so for example, oh, I want to ask this question. How many people here have fluorescent light bulbs? Anybody? Raise your hand. Hi. Okay. <clears throat> How many people here refuse to ever have fluorescent light bulbs. Okay, so here's the thing. is people at eco-level one, that's when they first buy 
fluorescent light bulbs. And the reason why they're buying them is they're saying, oh, it's eco. It says so right on the box. People at eco level four figure out that was just marketing. Fluorescent light bulbs are one of the most toxic things that exist today. They're horrible. They're absolutely terrible. The stuff where they save energy is lies. It's, it's really, and it's like multifaceted. I've created several videos and articles and stuff about this. And so you figure this out for yourself. A lot of people get to Eco Level 4 and they realize that they're sick or I'm like, I could spend six hours ranting about these things. But the key is, this is a point on the scale. Now, if you try to go to somebody who just bought their light bulbs and they're like, oh, look, I'm Eco now, and you try and tell them that, oh, actually, <laughs> they poison you and everyone around you, do they think you're crazy? Yes, they do. Seth Holzer is a great example of this. Seth Holzer being at the top, of course, a lot of the things he talks about sounds utterly crazy to people at level one, level two, level three, all the way up through what, level seven. It's not until you get to like level eight that he starts to sound cool instead of crazy. So, for example, one of the things that Seth Holzer does is that he says, make sure to plant lots of poisonous plants in with your animals. Who thinks that sounds crazy? Raise your hand high. Wave it around so we could all look at you and make fun of you. <laughs> so, now, how an animal eats is based dominantly upon instinct. And this is an instinct we have just in small doses. Animals, other animals other than humans have this instinct really strong. Now, if I took a piece of roadkill that was a week old and it was giving off an odor and I held it up to your nose, would you say, I wish to put that in my mouth? No, your, your instinct, your instinct would say, get that away from my face. So that's your instinct. Now, animals have that instinct far, far stronger. So when they go up and they eat, you know, they, they're, they're like, look at all this food that I've got to eat from. I've got all these different things to eat in this pasture. I'm going to eat some of this. I'm going to eat some of this. And this is like ice cream and this is like jelly beans. I'm loving life. And then one day comes along and they're like, I ate too many jelly beans, and my stomach is not happy. So it goes out into the pasture, and that plant that seemed bad yesterday, seemed terrible and horrible and even, shall I say, toxic, that today, you know, nibbling on that a little bit seems like just the right thing. That's its instinct. That poisonous plant is its medicine cabinet. It knows how to take care of itself. Now, of course, what most people do is that they put it behind the fence and they say, you have nothing to eat in there but dirt and your own shit, and we'll throw stuff over the fence for you to eat. We've decided what you're going to eat. If you ever get sick, we'll give you a shot, and we'll figure out what's wrong with you. But other than that, then it's Seth. Hi, Seth. So, uh, um, other than that, you know, you just have to be sick. You don't get to, you don't get to self-medicate. So, the key is, is that this video that we're going to see has been dumbed down for people at a much lower level. So, there's going to be a lot of things that'll, that'll show up in this that are like, they've, they've been enhanced, so, for your personal digestion. So, so you won't you won't scream out. Somebody grab this man and stick him in an institution. So, however, let's move on. Let's 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 fire up the first video. <clears throat> so, um, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn this off, and then when we do, we're going to do Q and A afterwards. So, everybody take lots of notes and write down lots of questions, and then we're going to answer like five or six questions before we go on to the next video. Sound good? Yep. All right. I'm going to turn this thing on to pause the here. Ladies and gentlemen, the mighty, the glorious, the amazing Sepulcher. Yeah. All right, so who's got some questions about this fella? Yes, sir. Um, okay, so it doesn't sell seed anymore because of Monsanto. Would you explain that? Well, let's see. Suppose a whole lot of farmers thought this was a mighty smart thing to do. Uh, then what would happen to Monsanto? I mean, you don't need any pesticides, you don't need any fertilizers, you don't even need irrigation. So, is that, so Monsanto's going to be cool with that? No. No. They, basically, Monsanto's general mission is to own all food. And uh, so this is kind of making it out like, boy, you know, if you do a little bit of this, 
You can have all the food you want, and it's like pretty much no effort, right? So um, farmers kind of, I mean, a lot of the people that are buying into that stuff, they go from making $14,000 a year to making like a quarter million dollars a year. You think Monsanto really wants people to learn about this and do this? So, so basically what's going on is that, oh, there's laws, and laws say things like, oh, you don't want this seed crossing any borders because you don't know. It could be like some kind of noxious weed or something, or maybe the seed that's the good seed has some evil seed with it. I mean, who knows? You could get a dandelion in some other country. <laughs> so then what, you know? And, and so, uh, boy, that would be a really awful thing, wouldn't it? So uh, basically, it's like there's all these regulations and laws that have been created to make it so that it's really difficult to move seed uh, from, from country to country, and uh, let alone sell it. If you're going to sell it, I mean, are, maybe you're up to no good. Maybe we need to monitor you and keep an eye on you. Of course, somehow, Monsanto, of course, has lawyers who fill out all those forms and meet all those legal requirements, and then some. So Monsanto's seed can go back and forth wherever it wants. However, if SEP tries to take a five-pound sack of seed onto an airplane or something like that, not allowed against the law. So um, for a lot of the projects that he does, of course, he's bred seed that does some really amazing things. So I remember something about he, uh, he moved some into some muesli once. He had, like, some cereal, some, some crunchy cereal, and he mixed some seed in with it. And then when he got to where he was going, he just planted cereal with the seed, and then that did the trick. Now, now up, up in uh, Dayton, this project in Montana that he did, uh, there was a bunch of seed that mysteriously arrived by probably carrier pigeon, which at this time is not regulated from, the, from his farm to Montana. And it was planted in Montana. Um, hopefully, no dandelions will come from that. So uh, does this give you an idea? Does this answer your question? All right. So, so basically, I mean, pretty much anything that's like this, you know, Monsanto. I mean, uh, and it's like, oh, it's not. Oh, it's not Monsanto. It's the USDA. Is and who who runs the USDA? Monsanto. That's right. The people who decide what is or is not organic is Monsanto. Which seems a little weird. A little, little bit like the fox control in the hen house there. So. Um, Right. Uh, it's, it's just like everything you want. I mean, basically, at this point in time, if you were to remove the chem-ag subsidies and to remove the organic penalties, then the consumer would pay almost four times as much for chem-ag food than what they pay for organic. So uh, these are things to keep in mind. All right, so I think I've answered your question. Next question. Yes. Um, when he is sowing those seeds, is he using seed balls like Fukuoka, and is he just allowing the, um, the, the seeds to self-select the variety so he's not, like, organizing a guild and choosing plants and all of that? He's just letting them choose themselves? What? That's a delicious stuff. question. That is, that is, like, an excellent question. I love that question. Um, he is not doing a Fukuoka style. He is not putting them into seed balls. He's not putting them like that. He is just getting a big old bucket of seed. He's mixing it all. Now, he does separate his big seed from his little seed, and he does kind of sometimes mix seeds that's more for the top or for the bottom. And But he mixes them of, of the hookah culture beds. Now, we saw hookah culture beds in this video that were like this tall, right? Yeah, that, this video is 12 years old. Sep now makes them this tall. So, um, and, and for those in Pod, Podville, that's, I'm holding my hand up about six, six and a half feet tall. That's, that's where he starts. And, and he, he says that if, you're, if your who culture beds shrink, that you've built them wrong. But I'm having a hard time understanding that one. Maybe. Um, Seth Holster has superpowers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You should, you should write that down so you don't forget. <laughs> uh, I would, you know what? I, I, uh, I asked him directly I, that it's going to shrink because when the wood inside shrinks, and and then he's like, no, no, nine. I think is what he probably said. Nine. Uh, I've got an interpreter that I have to go through that talk to him, and and so. Um, uh, uh, he says that they don't shrink. 
Now, at the same time, he doesn't put all that much wood in. I mean, we saw a video of him putting in a hell of a lot of wood. But the ones that he didn't date, he ran out of wood. And so it's like there was some of them didn't have any wood in them. You know what he did? He stuck in potatoes. He just stuck in a whole bunch of potatoes. All right, so coming back to here. So he throws his seed mix willy-nilly. And this is kind of like how permaculture is so different. In organic, filthy, disgusting Organic for kindergartners, organic, you know, conventional organic, where they just take the, the, the petroleum chemicals and replace them with their organic equivalent that they read in some stupid book. So organic, in organic systems, then it's like, oh no, my potato has Colorado potato beetles. What am I going to do? I'm going to hose it down with some kind of toxic kit. But wait! No, I'm organic now. I can't hose it down with plastic kit. i got to find something else. I'm going to come up with some kind of, I don't know, soap. Something that says it's okay, but, you know, really it's just a different kind of toxic. We haven't figured out how toxic it is yet. I'm going to toxify this plant with something that will kill the Colorado potatoes because those fucking beetles are eating my potatoes. And they'll eat everything. Now, forget the fact that the, that the organic farmers are growing those potatoes in a field of monocrop potatoes. I keep seeing these videos that are for the bleeding hearts, and it's like, oh, over here we have monocrop, and they go, it's so gross, it's like, this is evil, like it's like, in the movie here, it's like, oh, look, here comes the plows, <laughs> then it's like, but over here we have organic. And it's like, what the fuck? It's still monocrop. You haven't improved anything. You just went from shitty to slightly less shitty. That's it? That's all you got? All right. So I've gone off on a little bit of a tangent, but I'll come back, I swear. All right. So now the thing is, is that it's like, um, yeah, you're spreading these seeds out willy-nilly. They're all mixed together. This is polyculture we're working with here. And now you've got all kinds of hygge culture, and plus he had those in rows. He doesn't do rows like that anymore. He does them all like this. He's an artist. They're wavy. They're everywhere, up and down and in and out. It's crazy. It's beautiful. It's closer to what nature would do, not in lines. There's not very many straight lines in nature. So um, you got wonky, you got crazy, you got all kinds of texture in the landscape, all kinds of interesting things. The land is no longer homogenized, which is what when they, we saw that big track up there. That's what they're shooting for. They're trying to homogenize the landscape for their homogenized crop. They're going to grow one thing in this big crop, and then they want they want to put in this very exact level of fertilizers because they've calculated that that's going to be the exact benefit. In our polyculture systems, with this textured landscape, with this rich, varied landscape, you know, filled with permaculture edge, then we're going to plant all these things. And then when we see a potato plant with a Colorado potato beetle, we don't think to ourselves, I want to get little Colorado potato beetle machine guns and go to war with them. I don't, that's not the thing. What we're going to do is we're going to see this, this Colorado, this potato plant covered with Colorado potato beetles. We're going to say, well, I guess that potato plant shouldn't have been there. I guess that wasn't the best spot for that for that potato plant. Because over here, I've got a hundred, you know, throughout the property, a hundred different potato plants, and they don't have any Colorado potato beetles. They're vibrant and healthy and doing awesome. But what happened was is that potato plants started to come up, and it was, like, not really a good spot for it. So it kind of went, <laughs> which is the dinner bell for Colorado potato beetles. <laughs> Time to eat. And so they come down and they chow and they chow. Now, of course, if you've got a monocrop, then as soon as they're done eating one, plus other things, you've homogenized everything. So when one plant cries, usually they're all crying. They're all sad. And so as opposed to, like, if you've got texture in the landscape, well, then, you know, a bunch of your stuff is doing great and some of it's sad, as it should be. That's, that's the natural way. So... Uh, in a permaculture system, that shouldn't have been there. The Colorado potato beetles, I mean, that's basically Mother Nature. Colorado potato beetles, isn't that part of nature? So, nature, Mother Nature's coming in and she's saying, Oh, dude, dude, you fucked up right there. But don't worry, I'll cover for you. I won't tell anybody. Nobody will know. I'll just take that out. 
And that sunflower that's right next to it, it'll do awesome. Just wait and see. I'll make everything right. I'll make everything great. I'll just put some Colorado potato beetles on this. Take that right out for you. Did I answer your question? You don't really care if I answered it or not. You had a good time. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They self-select. So sometimes something's going to kind of get started and start growing and go, I don't like it here, so I've decided to die. And then someplace else, that same seed's going to be, this place is awesome. I love it here. And boing. Well, I wasn't contrasting. I wasn't contrasting that to monoculture, but I was contrasting it to me sitting sitting on my bed reading Toby, Toby Hemingway's book about gills and tearing my hair about what to put in a gill. And Seth's way sounds a lot easier. Yeah, Seth's way is a lot easier. Toby's. I mean, basically, Toby gives you an awesome idea of what you might throw in your seed mix. Oh yeah. And then you go out there and you fling it around, and it's like, good luck, seeds. I'm going to find my hammock. No, what did you guys do to Toby, by the way, to run him out of town? No, silence. You did do something. <laughs> well, he does it now. <laughs> We've got him in Montana now. Neener, neener, neener. <laughs> Question, yes. Yeah, um, I love your podcast. I love your uh, site. I love so far, I love this question. but I'm going to present on which one is more eco. Um, and uh, um, who, your, your question is, is who? And it's, it's Toby. Toby's the one that's really leading uh, uh, the, the way on that one. I mean, at permies.com, we, we talk a lot about urban stuff. And, and Jeff Lawton has a DVD on urban permaculture stuff, but I still believe that Toby's book is really the lead in that space right now on 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 urban but um at the same time um it's like you know so here we are uh in beaverton oregon just uh just a stone's throw from portland and uh uh that's where we had uh norris and uh tulsi and and they had a standard urban lot a little bigger than a standard urban lot and after uh five and a half years they were coming to the conclusion that they could only grow enough food for if they, you know, at that point in time, to feed half a person. He hardly grew fruit. He didn't do any grafting. He hardly grew fruit. So, I mean, there, there are things that, I, you know, I know Norris, and he's a great guy. He did amazing things. I learned a lot from him about a lot of his plants. But he didn't graft, and he didn't hardly grow fruit. So, I mean, you know, if you're going to do that and you want calories, you've got to grow fruit trees. This is a naturally forested area. It's fighting nature if you're not growing a lot of fruit trees, and he didn't do that. So okay. that would be my, I, I, I love the guy. He's, he's great, but I, that would be my criticism of what he's trying to do. So you realize every time you, you say the word but, that you kind of negate what you just said? I love the guy, but. <laughs> no, no, no. You should grow Asian parrots. You should grow, you know, this and this. All right, so in your measured opinion. Now, he said, he said that he believed that in uh, in five and a half more years, he could get to the point where he could feed one small person um, off of that land, you know, year round. Do you? And you're saying that using other techniques, you believe that it could be more. But now, of course, he's trying to also keep from bringing in inputs onto the land. So now, you know, 
self-sustained, so like not bringing in inputs, how many people do you think that you could feed on that chunk of land? Oh, well, maybe two. But maybe maybe two. You've got to move people from where they are. You can't say clicker figures. Everyone go out and buy a five-acre place in the country. We can't do that. We've got to move people from where they are to where we want them to be. So, yeah, you need a big truck, right? This is part of what we need to do is get people moving on steps. You know, so this is, this is what, when I think it through, then I, I think that um, the, the answer is, in the long run, for all the different scenarios that freak me out, that the, 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 it's going to be on, you know, rural. It's going to be rural is what I think. But it's like, you know, you can make a go of it urban. Um, and, and it's like there's all kinds of, I mean, basically the arguments are really against urban. But, yeah, you can do things urban. If nothing else, I, to me it just freaks me out, just, just the level of pollution. Yeah. <laughs> You've got a thing to say here, don't you? So, um, <clears throat> I, I do think that there are going to be ways to get more food per acre than, than what Norrison told you have been able to do. However, it's kind of like, I think, I think that it's like what, what Norris and Tulsi are able, I mean, if nothing else, this is an, this is an incredibly intelligent couple. And they've worked very hard. And their goal was to be self-sustaining. And they've put a lot of effort into that. And so it's like, okay, I think it is possible to go beyond. They think they're going to be able to feed one person. I do think, I agree with you. I think you could get to the point where you could do two. However, I also think that's going to be a lot of hard work. And I also think that uh, not everybody's going to be able to do it. And, um, and then we kind of get to the people where we start talking about those people that are um, our average person and the remarkably brilliant. Um, and so, granted, the remarkably brilliant could blaze the trail, but not if the average people get a chance to stop them. <laughs> so, it's, it's going to be, it's gonna be uh, really, really challenging. Uh, and, and I think, um, I mean, think about it right now. Uh, uh, the con- there's the conversation of like a farmer. Somebody comes out, they're like, I've moved out of the country. I've got myself 20 acres and I've got an orchard or I've got a wheat field or I've got hay or whatever it is I got. And I'm now going to quit my, my corporate whore job and I'm going to go live in the country. So I better come with some income the first year or I'm not going to make my mortgage payment and that would be a bad day. So then it's kind of like they check around, and it's kind of like, all right, what am I going to do? Oh, I'm into organic. I'm into all the things that are good. And they check around, and it's like, in their area, they're not finding really an organic people. They find a couple of hippies doing permaculture, and it's kind of like they can't even seem to feed a tenth of a person on 40 acres. So it's like, wow, I guess that didn't work out well. And how much money are you making off of your farm? Negative numbers. But we do have a horse. And uh, it's like, well, you know, in the meantime, you go and you visit this other guy, and he's, like, making $4,000 a year. Uh, and he's, like, working his ass off 16 hours a day every day. And, and it's like, shit. And then you go around and you visit with a bunch of other guys. No, that guy's a dope because I'm making $8,000 a year. No, that guy's a dope because I'm making $9,000 a year. And it's kind of like, really? This is it? This is what there is, and basically what it is, is it's a spring. How are you going to have an orchard unless you spray? And it's like, of course, in the, in the world of permaculture, orchard's a dirty word. Now, do you have in your neighborhood Sepp Holzer, who, who is making like, you know, he, if you have 100 acres, 94 acres, he is quoted as saying, if you make only half a million dollars a year, you're just phoning it in. You're not really trying. So, but do we have one of those? Yes, we do. No. no. You got a question on that? Have I finished answering your question? I forgot what the question even was. But, uh, oh, urban, urban, urban. Yeah. Yeah. 
There's a lot of, I'm going to get to you in a minute. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that can be done and you're going to have huge armies of normal people stopping you because welcome to the eco level scale. You're talking about eco level four and those people are at eco level zero. Therefore, you're fucking crazy and the world will be better if we shoot you. <laughs> So, you know, it, it, good luck with that. It's probably not going to happen. But I do like, I mean, I, I know about things in Portland. I know about things in Seattle. I know about things in San Francisco. All of these are they're doing urban farming. Where, where they, oh, you're doing it now. So they're going in and they're saying, okay, let's take all these fences between our properties. we like to do a farm and we're going to go. And then, uh, like in Seattle, they've got the urban forest thing going on. I mean, there are projects going on. I mean, Norris and Tulsi, if nothing else, they're like blazing a trail. Imagine how hard that is just to do. We've got people over in Kansas where they try and do a Norris and Tulsi, and it's like, we're here to rip out your shit because that's in violation of city ordinances. No, it's not. Too late. We already ripped it out. <laughs> so it's like, good luck. Dude, I hope you get some brothers, but it's still, it's like to come up with enough food to be able to feed all of Portland or all of Beaverton. I mean, that's going to be a challenge. I mean, even to feed, it, yes, it's a process, and it's a hard path, and it's like, I hope, I hope, I hope people make progress with it. At the same time, it's like, there's just, just the politics of it. Is, is like so painful. Now in Portland, you're going to have far more luck than you are in, say, Chicago. You know? Um, and so, it's, so, what's that? Or Oklahoma. Right. Tulsa. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, hey, have you heard of an HOA? <laughs> Good luck! Uh, and then it's like, oh yeah, your next door neighbors decided to spray everything with all kinds of, with 87 different kinds of toxic gifts. And yeah, it floats over to your house, but why are you complaining? It's kind of like they're giving it to you for free. So, <laughs> hey, and, and then let's not forget about every time you go in and get organic matter like compost, it's all, all, all commercial compost. All, have I mentioned all? All commercial compost has persistent herbicides in it. All of it. Every bit of it. If you ever buy commercial compost and they tell you that it does not have persistent herbicides in it, they are using a technique called lying in order to get you to buy it. So um, it's, it's, a, it's very – so Norris and Tulsi, nothing else, they're growing their own fertilizers. I mean, they're doing a lot in that space, which is a big challenge. So I – it can be done. It is harder. It's harder. That's the way to put it. It's harder urban than rural. It's easier. I mean, you know, because the other thing is you're urban and you got those Colorado potato beetles. It's like, okay, you're going to take out that potato plant. I totally get it. You know what? I want to help you take it out. As opposed to like, I'm just going to sit in my hammock and they'll take it out eventually. But you're thinking, I need that little square foot of sunlight for the thing that's behind it this year. Because I need to eat that. What's that? Have you been to Port Townsend? That's a town. It's city-ish, urban-ish. And it's like, they love the deer. And then they encourage them to come in. And then the gardeners are all like, no, stop. Stop encouraging them to come in. Yeah. they got deer walking. I mean, the deer love it there. There's no predators. They don't let the predators in, but the deer are fine. So so gardens are just wiped out. So you don't you don't have the deer. Where's Jeff? Is Jeff around? He's he lost his apple tree to a beaver. All I, and when I say when I say beaver, I'm euphemizing <laughs> because I think his he, I think his he goes by fucking beaver. Those fucking beavers. And it's like that. And they've already taken out two earlier. So this is their, this is like the last one. And then he went out and confront, he saw the beaver and went out to have a few words with the beaver. And it turns out those things are kind of scary. <laughs> the beaver was ready to take them on. <laughs> Bring it, dude! I got these. <laughs> What's that? I understand they make a lovely hat. So beaver, the apple <laughs> that's good it's true the apple tree the beaver's like fixing that the beaver's got his own plan so he's got an excess of you alright I'm going to move away from, I mean that is a tough question that's tough and uh, there's a lot of advantages to living in, in a town 
But I think when when I've done the measuring, I end up saying, let's go out and do the rural thing. And 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 there's like people are like but 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 and every one of those buts I've got a response to. So, but it's like that's why I'm going to have a two-hour-long thing down in Eugene because it's a two-hour-long. In fact, it's 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 probably could fill like a few shelves on a library uh, to talk about it proper like. But I'm going to skim over it for two hours in Eugene. So I'm going to take the urban and rural thing. I know that's a hot topic, and I'm going to set it aside. Now, are you trying to jump ahead of this guy? Are you trying to cut in line? This better be good. He's big. Well, I think about a quarter of an acre is what Norris and Tulsi are working with. And then the answer to this question is the same as the answer to nearly all questions, and that is, it depends. See, she's mouthing the words. She knows it, but she doesn't want to be on the podcast. It's recording. I think we need to get a new permaculture song called, It Depends, It Depends, It Depends, It Depends. But the thing I advocate is to have 20 people living under one roof, and I like the idea that they would have 20 acres. I think it would be very easy, very comfortable, a smooth ride. I've got a whole plan for this. Now, of course, I really want to do 20 people with 200 acres, and I've got reasons for that, and most of those involve cattle. Who here is a vegan? One vegan, two vegans. Any more? My hat is off. A very noble sacrifice down on one knee. Some people would say that it's not a sacrifice. But I'm, I, I think that if nothing else, you're doing what you think is right, and and you're going to stick to your path for what you. I mean, you're you're going to not eat meat. You're going to not eat any animal products for the sake of what you believe is right. And, and I could spend half an hour and talk you out of vegan, but I'm just going to let you go for now. <laughs> That's oh, I'm gonna, are you doubt that I'm let you go. <laughs> Have you read uh, Michael Pollan's Omnivore's Dilemma? I, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's Matt, he did the vegan thing for a while. And it is, it's a difficult choice, but let me, let me just, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna postpone your excellent question for another 30 seconds just to say, consider for a moment that if you buy a carrot over at, um, uh, uh, your organic co-op, whatever that may be, uh, they have a whole foods here? I don't know. But, Okay, all right. <clears throat> so you go, you go to your favorite organic store, and you buy your organic carrot. How many little bunnies and mice died for those carrots and ground-nesting birds? It turns out an incredible number of mammals, birds, and insects, not to mention the bacteria and stuff, that died for that carrot is just, is just phenomenal. It's disgusting. It's, I mean, basically in those fields for those carrots, they till the ground more often than they do for conventional and they kill more animals in the process. Whereas the healthiest, so I love this thing with this guy, he went and he got one of those things from those hospitals where you hook it up to your head, and it's like a thinkometer, and you think your thoughts, and it just goes pega, 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 and draws a thing, and, and then if you're like stupid, it like goes pega, 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 pega. <laughs> you know, and, and then, it, but if you have a brilliant, awesome thought, it goes pega, pega, pega. So he's measuring, he's eating all these different foods to find out what makes him the smartest, and he found out that the thing that I advocated probably six months ago in one of my podcasts, I said the thing that I think is the best food that you can buy at your organic grocery is um, grass-fed beef because it's actually um, being raised in a way that's aligned with nature. They're eating from a polyculture, what they're designed to consume. And so sure enough, the thing that this pega 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 guy found out was that the thing that he did the best with, with, with his brain, um, brain brainiac meter is uh, is grass-fed beef, by far the best. In fact, it was the fat from the grass-fed beef that was the best. I just think that that's that's amazing. But it's I mean that's where the dilemma is. And the dilemma is is like okay you you you've killed a bunch of animals with those carrots. Okay, it's true. You could do fruits and nuts instead. However, even with the fruits and nuts, the number one way that they treat that they that they manage those organically is to till. You're back to killing the little critters. 
Sorry. Yes. So my problem is not the critters you kill, because I, I recognize the importance of having animals in the um, permaculture landscape. Permaculture landscape. Um, however, in response to those people who would advise me to read the Omnivore's Dilemma, I would urge them to read the China study. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I think that there's uh, a lot of different uh, different kinds of – I mean, different people thrive on different things and, and, and things of that nature. It's true. However, I, I do think that um, when it comes to, to veganism – and again, I think being a vegan is a noble thing. And, and so I, I want to make sure that's really clear. And and then I think that each person is going to find their own uh, food choice. It's going to be the, the best for them. I, I do think that um, – uh, that there's been a lot of vegans that moved. This is boy, this is this is such a hot topic that we've got tons and tons and tons of threads on it at Permies. And I do believe that I can persuade vegans to stop being a vegan. However, I don't feel that that's really my mission in life. <laughs> um, I've got a much more important mission. I want all the food at every grocery store everywhere to be permaculture food. Not because anybody was on any kind of eco-kick or, you know, carbon footprint thing or whatever. I want it because the farmers find out that they make more money doing that, and then Monsanto shrivels up and blows away. All right. We will wait no longer. What is your question? So when we have permaculture, we've got no straight lines, we've got textured landscape, we can't get any kind of mechanical stuff in there to harvest. You're still singing my song, man. How do we get from this permaculture utopia to this giant bag of money? Is it my labor? Is it you pick? Is it fill in that gap for me? Oh, yes. Yes. Let me fill that gap. <laughs> the thing is, is that there is, Kim Ag has one opponent, only one, and that's the small farmer. And so Kim Ag likes to fondle money. They're into it. It's their thing. And I like, I like to fondle money too, damn it. I think we all do. Even those the people that say, no, I never fondle money. Right? money the people that say money sucks, they like to fondle money too. <laughs> they, they just close their door when they do it. <laughs> so then, uh, the, so they make these laws that are very favorable to uh, their industry. Like they can have all kinds of... Um, uh, uh, lawyers and stuff that will fill out all the appropriate paperwork and, and will do all of the menial tasks and then they've got what they call lobbyists that will go and grease the palms and make sure that they get to have things their way. So then basically they put impediments in front of the people that are going to try and do small farming and make it difficult. Hence we currently have the organic ag penalties. You've got to pay in order to be able to use the organic ag. Now there's complications. You can get away with not paying and stuff like that. But if you're going to be organic and you're going to follow the system, then it's like not only are you going to have to pay to be able to use the word organic, but you've got three inches of paperwork to fill out every month. Now, if you've got a small farm, I mean, three inches of paperwork, that's a lot of paperwork. Why don't the other guys have to do it? Now, <clears throat> all right, so Sepp Holter, for example, has had to deal with this. Sepp Holter has paid more fines than any other farmer in all of Europe. And he's still solvent and still going. So clearly he's come up with enough money to be able to pay those fines. <clears throat> now, uh, on, on his land, uh, he stopped selling the seeds and he stopped selling directly. Because, of course, there's laws about that. You try and sell a seed, we've got laws about that, and you have to comply with the laws or you're going to spend some time in the pokey. And then when you're selling food, I mean, if you go down to the farmer's market, aren't there people down there wanting to know what you're selling, what, how much of it, and, like, how much money you're making, and then, like, how did you raise it, and they're going to ask you a lot of questions. Isn't that kind of going on down there? Yahoo. So what Seth Holzer does is now... He just he has people sign up a year in advance to just walk onto his land. He allows 100 people per day to simply walk onto his land, and they pay uh, 95 euros, which is about 140 dollars, to to simply walk onto his land and hang out. It turns out a lot of those fuckers steal food. <laughs> now there's no, I mean, there's laws against that, right? But are those laws against SEP or are they against those people doing the stealing? 
So now, are they going to make a law against allowing somebody to come on your land and steal your food? Something like that. I mean, what, what kind of weird law would that be? I mean, they'll probably eventually do it. <laughs> It'll probably come out with something like that. But to answer your question, there's like um, uh, uh, hundreds of ways to, to, to get your, your income streams happening from being this kind of ag. And um, you're going to have to keep maneuvering in order to make it. But then it's like there's, there's the idea of, like, you can make $14,000 a year going the conventional ag way where you're growing your crops in big monocrop and you're going to have your big combine to harvest it and you're going to be able to take it to your local commodity reseller, which is going to store it and charge you a storage fee, and then they're going to try and eventually sell it. But, by the way, you stored it too long and it was funky because they stored it wrong, and, but that's your problem, not theirs. And then it turns out, and a lot of farmers, about 10% of the farmers out there have experienced this, where they had a year where um, they took all of their crop down to the storage place. They have to pay to have it stored there. And then by the time it finally got sold, it turns out that the amount of money that they made is a negative. They had to pay for the storage, which turned out to be greater than the amount that the food was sold for. Oh, yeah, that food's not selling for very much this year, and we kind of took too long to sell it, and uh sucks to be you. So, um, uh, but anyway, that's another story for another day. <clears throat> How to make this money. I So we so with the thing up in Montana, uh, the one thing that we tried to set up was something where it's kind of like a, a serve-yourself kind of uh, – I'm, I'm a big, big fan of the Honor System Farm Stores. I, I like the idea, and so they set something like that up over at, in Dayton when Seth was there. So they had a place where people could come and park and some booths or some stuff would be put into the booth, and then people could buy that on, on an honor system. But they could also walk around with about a kilometer's worth of hugelkultur beds and pick their own stuff and pay a lower price for it. And, um, and so basically people could just wander up and pick whatever they want and weigh it and pay for it and go. And the honor system farm stands typically uh, find more money in their cash box than what they should have in there. Now, I've got a video out there with three different farmers that have been doing honor system farm stands, and they're, they're explaining things like, um, okay, so we had this one year where basically all we did was had a tackle box that was wide open with just an ocean of money sitting on top of it, and twice the money was all gone. And so they, they've got that story. <clears throat> so they were obviously robbed. There's an honor system thing, and, and it happened. They had it happen twice. So then they put in a huge steel thing that's like part of the building that you can't take off with, and they, nobody's stolen that. So that's working out great now. But, I mean, like, if they got robbed two days out of 365 days, I think they're still coming out way ahead. So the honor system, I mean, I also think that there's going to be some places where an honor system farm store probably isn't going to work. And um, and then, plus, we were talking about this recently on Permies, like being in a neighborhood in an urban area where crime is rampant, and it's like they were talking about doing it like, well, we couldn't do it here, and it's like, you know what? You're right. You can't do it here. But here, here's a thought. What would happen if you did it anyway? I mean, like the kids would come and throw all the food out in the street and stuff, right? And um, or Or what if they took it home, you know? I mean, what if you just kept putting it out there? And and for like, um, you know, seven days in a row, they just kept throwing it out in the street. And you just cleaned it up and you put more food out there. I wonder what would happen then. I mean, I wonder if that would improve the quality of the community in general. I wonder. So anyway, that's another thing for another half-hour discussion. To answer your question, how do you make this money? At the Sepp Holster event... There was a guy there who came to me, and I think he only came to me instead of Seth. Maybe he came to Seth another time, but he came to me. I think it's because Seth says I'm the number one permaculture guy in the United States. Maybe it was because Seth said that. That might have been it. I'm the man. So, uh, but my website's bigger than Seth's. Let's all keep that in mind. All right, so, uh, uh, but he says he has 20,000 acres. So, um, how does he make money, you know, doing that, like, he wants to, have, you know, he wants to have a bag of money at the other end, and he's got 20,000 acres. And of course, the traditional method is currently in action there, and they make a certain amount of money, mostly through subsidies. So then it's like, okay, so how do they get from point A to point B? 
And so I said, well, the thing is, is usually what we do is instead of buying those half-million-dollar combines and those $100,000 grain trucks and, and things like that, what we usually do is invest in infrastructure, the culture and, and shaping the land and stuff like that. And it's, it's an investment like a one-time thing, which the combines, you know, you usually buy the combine for half-million dollars and you'll have it for 25 years. Um, but then it's like, uh, so it's a similar, similar kind of thing to that, but instead of machines, Usually your investment is in people. So what you're going to do is you're going to take your 20,000 acres and you're going to divide it into 10 2,000-acre chunks. And you're going to take a 2,000-acre chunk and you're going to divide it into 10 200-acre chunks. And then on those 200-acre chunks, you're going to put one person in charge and you're going to have 19 other people working on that chunk of land doing permaculture. And now uh, the time is, is that you want to get a truckload of food to go into the supermarket because the supermarket's all permaculture food. That's all that they carry, Right. And, and it's like, and you want to, you want them to hand you a big, fat, juicy check. So then what you do is you let all of your 10 units know, hey, uh, we need to get a truckload put together by uh, 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. And it needs to have this, this, and this. So let's go, people. So then on each chunk of land, the 20 people that are on that chunk of land pull up the food, put it in the boxes, and then they take it to a central point for their 2,000-acre chunk of land. And they all take all that stuff and they put it together to go to the 20,000-acre uh, chunk of land for the great big semi-truck that's going to haul all that food into where they're going to turn it into a big bale of money. Does that work okay for you? Does that sound good? <clears throat> you can stick all kinds of labels on it. I mean, if you think about it, I think that rather than saying we have one recipe, I think the thing to do is that you're going to turn it over to, you could call it a stakeholder, you could call it a leaseholder, um, you're going to have somebody with 200 acres of land, and you're going to say, all we want is permaculture, man. It's all, it's, this is the thing, and here's our idea of permaculture, by the way, just in case you think permaculture includes spraying, on our land it don't. And so um, you, could, you could lay out some ground rules and say, do you want to play on our land or do you want to go play on your own land? Either way, it's cool with us. On your own land, you're going to have to come up with like a million dollars to get started. On our land, you need to come up with like butkus and we'll get you going. Um, hey, but it's up to you, dude. How do you want to play it? So I, I, you know, and then it's like for each chunk of land, you might have a different deal, a different relationship, a different kind of thing. I mean, people are screwy, man. Each person's going to have a different kind of thing they're going to be into or a different thing that drives them. And, and it's like, you know, I want to work with you. I want to get something going on. So be flexible. Um, you know, I think if you're – maybe eventually you're going to be less flexible in some spaces that ended up not working out so good. But, I mean, um, I, I think that uh, an intelligent person should be able to, to do awesome with 20,000 acres. Does this make sense? Does this sound good? I've got a lot of ideas. I don't have 20,000 acres yet. I'll start with five. Start with – yeah. We had all this talk about five acres. <laughs> How am I going to make the big bucks about five acres? Well, uh, well, it is a good question. Um, well, at least at least if you have twenty people on five acres, um, you have a bigger zone one, and uh, and so you're going to be able to. I mean, with with a lot of the food forest stuff and, and other permaculture systems, the idea is that you get it all set up, and then once it's in place then you can just reap the reward for years to come. But if you go in there and you nudge it a little and charm it a little, then it'll produce twice as much or four times as much food. So what you're going to do is you're going to have, rather than having 200 acres and you're kind of coasting and spending a lot of time in the hammock, you're going to go out there and you're going to charm it a little bit. So that way you can get more money. Now, i got to say, I should have said this at the very beginning, that in the world of permaculture, there's a lot of charming, sweet, lovely people, and they're not here today. It's just me. And, and so it's like, so I'm one of the very few permaculture people that says making money is okay. And, and it's like there's a lot of people that are like, oh, no, if you're into permaculture, you're signing up for um, lifelong commitment to poverty. And if you, do, if you stray from that and make a dollar, we have to kill you. Sorry. Well, it is. So, um, but it's in the name of love. We'll love you if we kill you. So it's like it's it's a so there's there's a, a, there's a fair bit of that in the permaculture world, but I'm I'm one of uh, probably about 20 percent I'd say 20 25 percent of the permaculture community is like no 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 making a million dollars permaculture is totally cool, and at the same time if people want to go out there I believe if somebody wants to go out there and produce um, a million tons of food and give it away 
That is mighty noble. And I support you. And I'll do everything I can to support you.